0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. Justin Trudeau supports the U.S. president's call to investigate the origin of COVID-19. Not just to ensure accountability, but also to make sure we fully understand how to better protect the world going forward uh, from any such further pandemics. Uh, I know there are a lot of theories out there, uh, but we need to make sure we're getting to a full and complete airing of the facts to actually understand uh, what happened and how to make sure it never happens again. Jagmeet Singh apologizes, after a video shows him breaking COVID guidelines. It's one of those moments, uh, you get home and you kind of let your guard down. Uh, Lots of folks kind of get home and start to feel like, oh, you're comfortable at home. And I did that, I let my guard down and I apologize. And how do vaccination rates stack up against the aggressive reopening plans In some provinces. Are we sufficiently protected against the arrival of new variants that are quite aggressive? And by that I mean, do we have enough people with two doses into them? We're thinking about this summer as a one-dose summer, but really we need two doses in a lot of people before we can start really thinking about aggressively opening. It's Friday, May 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at-issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us today.
1: Good morning, Mark.
0: Let's start by talking about Justin Trudeau supporting Joe Biden's call to investigate the origin of COVID-19. Uh, I, I, this, is, this is something that I know a lot of people have weighed in on in the past. Do we need to know how this all started, where it started, why it started?
1: Uh, well, a lot of people do want to know <laughs> mm-hmm. if it was not uh, kind of a... a I was going to say a freak accident, but I think in, other, in either case it would be a freak accident. But um, if it wasn't a, a source of natural contamination and if it emerged out of a lab. I mean, at first we talked about this almost as a, a conspiracy theory about a year ago, but now it, it has emerged that um, one of the U.S. intelligence agencies thinks that it could possibly have come from a laboratory Um, and so the president of the United States wants to get down to the bottom of it. And then there, of course, there were questions about the World Health Organization's report where scientists, um, complained that they didn't feel like they got, um, unfettered access when they were in China doing their own report. So, um... It was a little bit surprising to see the Prime Minister on Thursday come out quite forcefully saying that he supported the call by the United States and others to understand the origins of COVID-19 better. But he framed it as being not just about accountability, but also understanding how kind of the, the lessons learned, how to better protect the world going forward from further pandemics. If um, One assumes if it did emerge out of a the lab, then obviously there needs to be um, more uh, safety requirements yeah. to prevent something like this from happening. So uh, it, it felt like it was more about the lessons learned than really attacking China.
0: All right. Let's talk about the latest on COVID guidelines and, and reopenings and vaccination rates. And first of all, the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has apologized after uh, a video showed him breaking those guidelines. He was in close proximity to somebody and even hugged another person.
1: Yeah, he was attending um, an in-car iftar ceremony and he was in a vehicle with someone who was not part of his immediate household. Um, His brother is executive assistant who he said was a friend and they were maskless and then when they emerged from the car they hugged and he apologized for that. I think frankly what the video was intending to show and the person who um, provided that video is that um, not just that Mr. Singh was... Uh, breaking the rules. The rules of the NDP frankly have been pretty um, strict to impose on their own members. If you'll recall when Nikki Ashton went to Greece to care for an ill family member, she was stripped of her caucus duties. Um, So uh, there's seems to be perhaps a, a double standard and, and imposed uh, on the leader compared to uh, his caucus mates, but also I think the point was to raise that Mr. Singh has not been living in his riding, Instead, he's been living uh, with his brother, his brother's wife, and his parents in Toronto, along with his own spouse, and the NDP says that um, they've been uh, in uh, the GTA because it's easier for Mr. Singh to drive to Ottawa rather than to fly to BC, um, but I think that that was uh, definitely another theme that emerged <laughs> from this thing video. Um, and as far as the latest on COVID, well, today about 100 phar- uh, t- Toronto-area pharmacists are getting uh, several doses, many, many doses of AstraZeneca. These are the AstraZeneca um, doses that were in the fridges in Ontario. There are as many as 31,000 doses that are set to expire on may 31st i think that's monday um and so there's a push to uh to put those (laughs) doses in people's arms uh, who are eligible for it um and also on astrazeneca we learned yesterday that in quebec they're shortening the wait time from 16 weeks to eight weeks and that people will be able to get a second dose in early june those who were vaccinated before uh, sorry after april 3rd and what else did we learn we learned moderna uh Far from uh, the millions of doses that we were expecting, but we are going to be getting about 2 million doses before June 14th. Still, um, we were told that Moderna was going to be delivering 12.3 million doses uh, through the April to June period. They're they're shy of that target.
0: Right. But at
1: least those who had Moderna maybe feel like they're a little less stressed that they will be getting a second dose of Moderna
0: soon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear about shortened timelines for the second dose, which I know is going to create a lot of optimism for many people who thought they were going to have to wait until August or September for that second dose and, and may yeah. get it sooner. So,
1: Yeah. In fact, in France, the Prime Minister on Thursday during a press conference said that uh, he talked about people getting their second doses before September.
0: Hmm, yeah. Maybe it won't be a one-dose summer after all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe it's a one-dose majority summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, let's turn to the former Bank of Canada and Bank of England Governor Mark Carney, who appeared before a Commons committee yesterday. Uh, there was some back and forth with um, with the Conservative MP Pierre Poilievre. Uh, there was some criticism of of Carney and the role that he's playing now. Uh, what's your sense of, of how that appearance played out? And there's been a lot of speculation, obviously, about Mark Carney's future. Uh, so what did you take away from that?
1: Yeah, so um, Mark Kearney came out, of course, at the Liberal Convention and declared to himself as a supporter of the Prime Minister and of the Liberal Party, saying he would do what he could to help the Liberals in the next election. And uh, the Conservatives put their best attack dog, Pierre Polyev, uh, to to question him and quiz him, try to uh, land as many punches as he could at the Industry Committee hearing um, on Thursday morning, where Mr. Kearney, along with uh, others... Uh, involved in the energy, um, the larger energy industry, if you could say there were like people from re- renewable energies or somebody from the electrical sector, they were talking about post-COVID pandemic plans. Um, but that is not really what Pierre had wanted to talk about. Um, he quizzed, peppered, interrupted, uh, was very uh, confrontational, as he uh, often is with his political foes. Very early on uh, in the committee hearing, Mr. Polyev asked uh, Mr. Carney if Brookfield received subsidies from producing renewable energy in Ontario. Mr. Carney said he didn't know the answer to that question um and then mr polyev said well actually you do and would you pledge to uh stop receiving them or voluntarily reduce your prices so that uh people who live in poverty could be charged less basically uh, accused uh, mr Kearney's company of, of gouging um a poor Ontarians who can't afford their electricity bills. Mr. Carney uh, tried to say, well, you know, those contracts are locked in and energy policy isn't the way to address poverty. But Mr. Polyev kept interrupting. And uh, so that kind of laid the tone for what was to come. He asked if um, he supported uh, the Prime Minister's fiscal plan, if he thought that the structural deficits uh, were uh, were basically what was being created. Mr. Carney said he thought that the government's plan was on a sustainable fiscal path. He even quizzed uh, Mr. Carney about how many birds the Brookfield windmills had killed. Mr. Carney said he had no idea. Um, he asked him about pipelines, basically tried to suggest that... Um, Mr. Carney believes one thing but supports a company that does another thing that uh, Mr. Carney said he supported the premiers' decision to veto Northern Gateway um, but uh, said that he did think it was a, um, a double standard that Brookfield invests in pipelines in other countries. And then in question period, what we saw was the Conservatives take uh, a, d- a slightly different tack and perhaps one that will be more successful um, about Mr. C- Latching on to words that Mr. Carney had said about how he uh, has talked to some cabinet ministers about climate finance, which is the the sphere he's in at the moment, and the Conservatives suggested that Mr. Carney was was lobbying uh, and not and he's not registered to lobby, um, and was this again in the frame of the the Liberals. Um, doing one thing for their friends, but uh, everybody else having to play by the rules. Right. Jonathan Wilkinson was left to answer those questions because the Prime Minister was not in question period. He said Mark Kearney was an obviously eminent Canadians that uh, you know, he devises the a United Kingdom government on climate policy and that he uh, this is Mr. Wilkinson consults with people all the time. Um, but I think you can expect to see um, a little, a little bit more on these lines of attacks. And of course, for Mr. Carney, who is perhaps contemplating running for the Liberals in the next election, this is certainly a taste of what's to come.
0: Yeah. All right. Very quickly, um, we should touch briefly on on the news about Liberal MP Will Amos, who um, who sent a message out last night that for a second time he had been caught in an awkward situation in a a virtual meeting and so he has stepped aside uh, from his role as a parliamentary secretary so just give us the the quick details on this
1: yeah mark i really don't know that much about it it came as a complete surprise to me and i think to many other people uh who watch parliament hill so will amos the liberal mp um basically he tweeted out a statement uh late last night saying that um on wednesday night while attending a house of commons proceeding virtually um he urinated without realizing he was on camera he said he was deeply embarrassed by his actions he, um, he described them as being in a non-public setting much like when he was caught uh, changing, coming back from a run, it seemed, um, and naked changing in his office. He said then that he was unaware that he was on camera and people felt really bad for him. In fact, the House's uh, Internal uh, Economy Committee, the Board of Internal Economy, is, is kind of studying whether or not the block MP who took the screen grab of him being naked um, should be forced to disclose who he shared it with so people would know how that information yeah. managed to find its way on the internet. But in this case, um, Mr. Amos said that it was accidental and it was not visible to the public and he's completely uh, but it was obviously completely unacceptable, and he apologizes, and he wrote that he would be stepping aside temporarily from his role as the Parliamentary Secretary and from his committee duties, so that he, in his words, could seek assistance. Um, mm. I haven't heard about this incident from anybody else. I don't understand how it happened. Did he bring the computer with him to the bathroom? Uh, there are, At the moment, there don't seem to be many details around it, um, but it is a very, very strange story.
0: Yeah. All right. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. The best way to beat back the third wave is vaccines. Vaccines are the key. Thus far, President Biden has said no. I say let's go, Joe. The right answer is yes. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Gillian Horton argues Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister's embarrassing plea for vaccines from Joe Biden misses its mark. Horton writes, For the past several weeks, with our case counts rising and Canadian vaccine supplies bottlenecked, Pallister has alternated between throwing tantrums and touring potato plants. So when he called for Joe Biden to send vaccines, it was almost comical. Is it reasonable to make a plea for some of the United States' unused vaccines? Perhaps. But it seems Mr. Pallister is unaware that bullying only works in one's own sphere of influence. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues, Hiring Boris Johnson's advisers shows Erin O'Toole's conservatives don't plan to play nice. Delacourt writes, Something about Johnson's politics obviously has sent Canadian Conservatives knocking on the doors of people who helped him move into 10 Downing Street. We can divine two conclusions from these contracts. The Conservatives are serious about the looming data war with the Liberals, and they don't intend to play nice. They are sending a strong hint of how much they want to regain their footing and how far behind they are at present. At National News Watch, Ben Carr argues democracy belongs in the classroom. Carr writes, This week, the principal of a school in Steinbach, Manitoba, told his teachers they were not to talk about COVID-19 because it was too sensitive of a subject to be discussed in classrooms. Two days later, the Minister of Education said the classroom is an appropriate place to discuss government policy in regards to proposed changes to the education system. How can we prepare our kids for a world full of challenge and hostility if they are not able to first learn resilience and understanding in safe, supported environments? Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A parliamentary committee is meeting today to decide whether to hold sittings on the latest protectionist threat from the United States to Canadian softwood lumber. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the four conservative members of the Commons International Trade Committee have officially requested that the committee immediately start special hearings into the announcement by the U.S. Commerce Department that it intends to double the duties and tariffs on Canadian softwood lumber. The U.S. and Canada have been without a softwood lumber treaty since the last one expired in 2015, and new import duties were imposed on Canadian softwood in 2017. Canadian producers breathed a sigh of relief when the U.S. Commerce Department last year massively cut the tariffs. But it would seem that the American lumber lobby has again, at least temporarily, won the day and persuaded U.S. authorities to ratchet up the protectionist tariffs. The committee will decide if it's going to hear witnesses to try to determine the best Canadian response to this latest trade threat. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson. Along with Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, he will participate in a virtual conversation with families to discuss the Canada Child Benefit. NDP leader Jugmeet Singh will hold a news conference before making a virtual visit to the picket line in Burnaby South in support of Unite Here Local 40 hotel workers. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will speak at the 2021 Indigenous Partnerships Success Showcase. Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will announce investments in high-speed internet that will impact the York Region communities of Vaughan and East Willembury, Ontario. Northern Affairs Minister Daniel Vandal will announce a federal investment to improve high-speed internet access in Nunavut. And Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will make an announcement with Middle Class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May the 28th tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.